Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, our head pastor, Dr. Rhett Payne, studies the book of Romans. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. All right, we're back in Romans, Romans chapter 8. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll just read a few verses there. This is part 15 in the series on the book of Romans. Today, no condemnation. And my sources include Derek Thomas's um, wonderful book, How the Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home. As I check something else here. Ron Lee Davis, A Forgiving God in an Unforgiving World. Uh, Stuart Aliot's The Gospels It Really Is from Romans. John R.W. Stott, The Message of Romans from The Bible Speaks Today. And Kent Hughes's book, uh, Romans Righteousness from Heaven from the Preaching the Word series. Romans 8, this is my favorite verse in the New Testament, verse 1. So please stand for the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of God. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the to the spirit, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you for telling us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Lord, help us to understand what that means for us in our lives, in our, in our spiritual lives. I pray that you will be with us now, Lord, and teach us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Chris Farley was a a once-in-a-lifetime talent, the late comedian who started out on Saturday Night Live and simply one of the funniest guys ever. If you've seen the movie Tommy Boy, fat guy in a little coat, But anyway, he said this shortly before his death. He died very young. There's only one who's in control. He'll take me when he wants me. I don't want to know about it. It's none of my business. I just hope he'll forgive my sins. That's the lot. That's really the way a lot of people live and die. It's hoping, hoping, wishing their sins could be forgiven. The 8th chapter of Romans begins with one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. It's a promise that I believe has in part saved my sanity. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let those words sink in, please, for just a moment. That in spite of your sin, if you are in Christ Jesus, God does not condemn you. I mean, honestly, this this promise is really overwhelming in and of itself. 
So let's jump into it and see what all this means. Three lessons, the first of which is this. Trust God's forgiveness. And I hope you'll follow in the outline. Trust God's forgiveness. Verse 1 again. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing, amazing statement. How do we trust it? You need to know this term condemnation carries the idea of penal servitude. F.F. Bruce puts it this way. There is no reason why those who are in Christ Jesus should go on doing penal servitude as though they had never been pardoned and liberated from the prison house of sin. And so really that is the question in this first point. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And have you turned from your sin? Christ alone is our hope. And so are you in Christ Jesus? Have you heard those wonderful words from Scripture that you've taken to heart? Not guilty. The Greek word, in the outline it says, Catherine, that's for those of you that can't spell. So, the actual Greek word is katakrima, K-A-T-A-K-R-I-M-A. It's the Greek word that is the word condemnation. It appears only in the book of Romans. Only in the book of Romans here, in this verse, and also in chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. It's the only time it appears... Although it relates to the sentencing for a crime, its primary focus is not so much on the verdict as on the penalty that the verdict demands. And as Paul has already declared, the penalty or the condemnation for sin is death. Remember, we studied in Romans 6, 23, the wages or the payday for sin is death, but, but the gift of God. What an incredible grace. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the incredibly good news that Paul announces here is that for Christians, there will be no condemnation. There will be no sentencing. There will be no punishment for the sins that believers have committed or ever will commit. I try to take that in. Let that sink in, would you? That's why the gospel is called good news. It's incredibly good news. So, turn with me to the book of John, John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, whoever hears my word, listen to this, whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The word judge there is also a word very similar to the word condemnation. So whoever believes, trusts Jesus Christ, has eternal life. It's a done deal. If you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins and, and in faith looked to Christ as Savior and Lord, 
You have eternal life. You will not be judged. You will not be condemned. You've crossed over from the land of the dead to the land of the living. This is one of my favorite verses to share with anyone about how to become a believer in Jesus Christ and the great news about it. So guess what else? Jesus not only pays the believer's debt of sin, but cleanses that person from all unrighteousness, according to 1 John. 1 John 1, 9. That cleansing is probably something that some of you need to hear. You want to hear that your sins have been not only forgiven, but, but cleansed. You know, there may be times in your life where you've done something, you feel really dirty because you've done something really bad. And this is a wonderful promise in Scripture that Jesus will give you the bath that you need. He will cleanse you of that sin. He can forgive you for that sin. So even more amazingly, he graciously imputes and imparts to every believer his own perfect righteousness. According to Hebrews 10, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I mean, think about that. By one sacrifice, by Jesus dying on the cross, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy, which is those who are followers of Jesus Christ and truly Christians. You've been made perfect forever. Now, in your actual life, you don't feel perfect because you aren't perfect, but Christ is perfect. And so he declares you perfect through his sacrifice on the cross. And so who are you to argue with God? The hymn that we sang in the opening hymn, that last verse, I know it's not the easiest hymn to sing, but the, the words are beautiful and the tune is beautiful too, but it's just not an easy congregational sing, sing, song to sing. But uh, I hope that you enjoy thinking about the words that Charles Wesley wrote all those years ago. And that last verse, no condemnation now I dread. I love that because that is Romans 8.1. I don't have to dread facing God with condemnation and judgment because of Jesus and all I have in him. He's mine. Jesus is mine. So God is telling each of us who are followers of Jesus Christ today, trust God's forgiveness. Trust my forgiveness. The second is a really important lesson because it's one thing to trust God's forgiveness. The second thing is to embrace God's forgiveness. Embrace God's forgiveness. You know, I've been reading the Old Testament this year. I'm going to read through the Bible again this year. And, you know, usually when I'm doing one of the one year, you know, once a day, read several chapters, whatever, different parts of the Bible, I, I get stuck in Leviticus. And so uh, I read through Leviticus this past week, and it is a hard book. I really think you ought to read through Leviticus just to appreciate what God has done for us in Jesus. I mean that. Because if you read through Leviticus, it will give you a new appreciation of reverence and respect and awe before the Lord our God. I mean, Aaron the priest, who is Moses' brother, his sons brought strange fire before the Lord and the Lord killed them for that strange fire. In other words, there was a way that to approach the Lord, and there's a way to not approach the Lord, and they violated that. <clears throat> excuse me, they violated that, and so they paid the ultimate price. That kind of thing in Scripture is where you go, oh, whoa, hold on a second. 
And it just reminded me of how wonderful it is to be able to approach, excuse me, how wonderful it is to be able to approach the Lord our God through Jesus Christ. It's such a privilege to be able to come into the presence of a holy God through Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Because without His righteousness, I cannot approach a holy God. But through Jesus Christ, I can approach this holy God. You know, and the Old Testament laws, there's over 600 of them. And you've got moral laws, you've got civil laws, you've got ceremonial laws. And the civil and ceremonial laws have been, have been abolished. Because they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, the moral laws have not been. And if you want to know what the moral laws are, you look to what we talked about last week, which is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a wonderful summary of the moral law of God. And if that's too much for you, you can go to the one and two that Jesus gave us. Which was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summation of the law of God. So there are only two ways of salvation, by law or by grace. Which way do you want to go? I want to go by grace. I want to go by grace because if salvation is to happen by the law, perfect obedience is the requirement. James 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So... The law is good, but it will never show you mercy. It knows nothing of grace or forgiveness. It demands perfection. And I want you to think about that, about how much the law demands. And so look with me at verse 2 of our text. First, the first verse, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free From the law of sin and death. Who gets to experience this? Those who are in Christ Jesus. So a Christian is a person who is in Christ Jesus. Now there's a doctrine that we embrace that scripture teaches called the doctrine of justification. If you're in confirmation, you're going to learn about justification. What does it mean? It means that through justification... God completely and forever releases the believer from sin's bondage and its penalty of death. And as a result, it fits him or her to stand sinless before a holy God forever. If that is true, and if I'm a Christian, then why do I feel guilty still? I mean, some of you are Christians and you struggle with guilt. The answer lies outside of our performance. So look at verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh. Two truths are here in this verse. First, our salvation is, and I use the word entirely in both of these, our salvation is entirely initiated from outside of us. Our salvation is completely and entirely initiated 
from outside of us. God the Father sent his son. John 1 says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God means God is the one that initiated our salvation. You, you didn't initiate salvation. God initiated salvation. He's the one that went seeking for you. You didn't go seeking for God. That's what we believe scripture teaches very clearly. That in yourself, you would never seek for God. God is the seeker and he's the one that sought you out. He initiated salvation from outside of you. Secondly, our salvation is entirely dependent on what Jesus did. And I think there are many of us that have grown up in this country that think maybe differently about that. You know, we, we've heard enough bad theology that it's kind of soaked in. And so as a result, we're not really convinced that salvation is dependent completely, entirely upon what Jesus did. We want to put our performance in there because we're Americans after all, right? We want to say uh, we did our best. We did our, our part. Well, your salvation is really not a cooperative venture. So get that straight. Your salvation is merited solely by the accomplishments of Christ and not your own. Yet we have all sinned. So what do we do with our guilt? Reminds me of the 13th century Black Plague in Europe. During the Black Plague, there was a heretical cult named the Flagellants. And they would march through the streets naked, screaming, and with swords, and with rods, and with whatever, and cutting themselves, and beating themselves, and screaming at the top of their lungs. Now, why in the world would they do that? Because they believed they had to suffer violently to pay for their sins. And I say it was a heretical cult because they were... They were wrong. They shouldn't have done this. There's no need to do this. I mean, yes, Romans 3 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, yes, we have all missed the mark, which explains why we feel guilt. And you know why we feel guilt? Because we are guilty. <laughs> we're guilty. I've heard so many people say through the years of my ministry I've got this Catholic guilt. You ever heard that before? And then I've also heard people say, I've got this Baptist guilt. You ever heard that before? Well, guess what? Catholics and Baptists don't have a corner on the market for guilt. We Presbyterians, we're pretty good at this guilt thing, too. Did you know that Mark Twain was a Presbyterian? Mark Twain, 19th century, 20th century writer and humorist. Who held a wild, weird range of views on Christianity and the Bible at different times in his life. His theological beliefs changed many times as he dealt with tragic deaths of family and friends, as well as considerations of his own mortality. His misconception of sin and guilt may have contributed to his rejection of the gospel. In the book... Huck Finn's America, Butler University's Andrew Levy wrote about Mark Twain's faith. And here's what he said. He spent his Sundays in a church where the preachers were very clear about hell and the odds of a wayward child going there. He wept to his mother that he had, quote unquote, ceased to be a Christian 
End of quote. But his, quote, trained Presbyterian conscience, end of quote, as he later called it, swallowed guilt like air. How many of you are like Mark Twain? You swallow guilt like air. There was no death in his family, and this is really important here. There was no death in his family or among his friends that he did not blame himself for. Here's what he wrote. I took all the tragedies to myself and tallied them off in turn as they happened, saying to myself in each case with a sigh, another one gone and on my account. What a sad, sad way to live. You know what that is? It's a misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a misunderstanding of the gospel. When you placed your trust in Jesus Christ and turned from your your sins and you still feel guilty, then that's a problem. You have not embraced God's forgiveness. They say that if, if people in mental institutions could embrace forgiveness and be done with guilt, the mental institutions would be a lot smaller. I wonder about that. When, when you have this thing of ongoing guilt that's out of proportion to the way you should be living, then there is something wrong with your view of God and your concept of his love and his forgiveness. When you're unable to embrace the sacrifice of Christ to cover your sins, then you will constantly feel the need to bear the punishment for your sins yourself. And you just can't do that. It denigrates the the cross and all that Jesus Christ accomplished on your behalf. You can't be the Messiah for this world. You can't be your own Savior. There's only one true Savior. And He took your sins upon Himself on the cross. So embrace the forgiveness of God for your sins. And quit beating yourself up for your sins. And join me with a chorus of Romans 8.1. A chorus I have sung throughout my life. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You cannot go back... And redo those mistakes, those sins that you committed in the past. But you can embrace God's forgiveness for those sins and live with the peace of God. Now, it may be that there's some business that you need to attend to with, with the people maybe you sinned against. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. But sometimes you just can't. And if you can't, embrace God's forgiveness and let His peace flow out of you. So that you can live your life in the joy of knowing you've been forgiven. It's the most wonderful gift, isn't it? To be forgiven of your sins. Willful sins. Yes, you can be and should be forgiven. And then the third and final lesson of the day is live out God's forgiveness. Live out God's forgiveness. Our text says that God condemned sin in sinful man, in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit, capital S. The theme of Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You may not have noticed, but up to this point, the Holy Spirit has only been mentioned twice in Romans. 
The first was a passing reference to the spirit of holiness in chapter 1, verse 4. And the other described the Holy Spirit as pouring out the love of God within our hearts in chapter 5, verse 5. But here in chapter 8, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times. 20 times. Chapter 8 is the chapter of liberation through the Spirit of our God. And if you placed your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and truly turn in repentance away from your sins, then you have been forgiven. Now turn with me to the back of the New Testament to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So if you are a Christian and you're living in known sin, then you need to repent. You should feel guilty because you are guilty. All right. I just can't put it any other way. But look at verse seven. If we walk in the light. If we're seeking by God's grace to serve the Lord and and live a life of, of holiness and purity. Again, we're never going to be perfect in that, but we're seeking to. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. And then He goes on to say we should confess our sins. And yes, even though your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, through Jesus Christ, you should confess your sins that you commit on a daily basis. But sometimes we don't even know when we've sinned. Sometimes... We can't go to that person that we sinned against. And I love verse 7 there because it says, The blood of Jesus does this continuous cleansing for our sins. It's all God. He is the one who paid the price on the cross. He is the one that forgives us and cleanses us. The greatest issue of all time is the answer to the question that's before us. How is it possible for those who are guilty... To be, to be declared not guilty. That's the good news of the gospel. You come to Jesus Christ renouncing any confidence in your own ability to do anything worthy of God's salvation. Instead, you trust only in Christ's sinless life, His substitutionary death, His resurrection from the dead on your behalf. Every day, you need to preach that gospel to yourself. And remind yourself of what the great hymn writer said in the hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Let's read it out loud together. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Let us pray. God of all grace, we come to you through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we give you praise and honor and glory for being a God of grace. Thank you, Lord, that your word says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we thank you that this gospel has not changed And Lord Jesus, you have not changed. Thank you for all that you've done for us 
taking our sin upon yourself. And Lord, we have the hardest time forgiving ourselves. We embrace your forgiveness and then we beat ourselves up and we we make life so hard on ourselves. And that's not from you, Lord, that's from the enemy. We know that. So would you today give your people in this place grace and mercy to forgive themselves sins that you've already forgiven them for? And if there's anyone here at the, the sound of my voice that has never turned in faith and repentance to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, would you give them the grace today? Would you call them to salvation today and lead them to come to your throne of grace and mercy where there is always abundant mercy and grace in their time of need? Thank you for our salvation, Lord. Thank you for initiating this salvation. It's not something that we looked for. You came looking for us. Thank you for being the good shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep. And as your sheep, we come to you, Lord, today, thanking you for your your peace that you give to us for the forgiveness of our sins. Give us that today. I pray for those especially that struggle with guilt. Would you give them your peace? I pray in Jesus name. Amen.